comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Facebook, no Twitter, no smartphones, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Episode 53 of the Walking Dead TV Podcast, where we will be discussing the ninth episode of Season 2 of The Walking Dead Trigger Finger. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Brad Milo, uh, Mr. Russell Latham, and Mr. Johnny M. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. All right. I'm, I'm recovering from the plague, so I am doing well. Yeah, Russ and I were both gone last week, but we are happy to be back and uh, to discuss a pretty awesome episode, for the most part, I thought. Anyway, what do you guys think? Just opening thoughts. Better than last week. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go with that. But before we get to the actual episode discussion, we've got the preliminaries to get to. So, who wants to tell us about our sponsor this week? Why? I'd be happy to tell us about our sponsor. Our sponsor this week for the Walking Dead TV podcast is DCB Service. That's Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com. And once again, DC is continuing the New Fifty Two celebration where. Issue number eights, if you order all of them of the new 52, are 50% off. So this is the eighth month in a row they've been doing this. And um, I'm, I'm curious as to how long they'll be able to, to continue that. I'm guessing probably till issue 12, maybe. Um, but it's a great deal if you're, if you're liking what they're doing with the new 52. And if you're getting most of the titles, um, adding a few more on there to get that 50% off discount is, is quite a steal. Um, also, DCB Service has going on. Vertigo's four new number two books um, you can get in a bundle for 75% off. So you get all four books for a total of $2.99. So Vertigo's got um, a new line of books they started with last month's previews that are coming out, and so they're really kind of pushing these hard. Uh, so they're definitely worth checking out. Um, all the DC, uh, all new DC trade paperbacks and hardcovers related to the new 52 are all 50% off this month, month which is a great bargain. Um, and that all the other stuff is 45% off. Um, also premiering this month is the new Shadow Number 1 from Dynamite, which is 75% off. And there are four regular covers, which Dynamite loves to do, um, putting out massive covers. I'm sure since it's Dynamite, one of them will be drawn by Mr. Alex Ross. Um, so you could technically get all four of those for the retail price of one book. Um, Walking Dead related this month um, in the in the February previews is Walking Dead number 96. So they're fastly approaching issue number 100, and you can get that for 40% off, which is $1.79, so it's a great deal. Um, and as always, if you are a first-time customer with DCB service, please use the code WD8, for an, you'll get an additional 8% off of your complete order. So, um, you know, some of these, these issues, you know, if they're 75% off or 50% off, 
and you're looking at close to your total bill being almost you know 50% off or for some of the books even even greater with that extra 8% kicker. Um, if you're a div- digital comic aficionado, you can head over to dcbservice.com and um, order through Comicsology, and you can earn five percent of your purchase uh, of your. You can earn five percent of your Comicsology orders off of DCB um, as proper titles. So again, if you're ordering from Comicsology anyway, you might want to just give that get head over to DCB Service and um, help out the sponsorship by ordering digital comics through their site. So as always, we thank Discount Comic Book Service for their sponsorship of the Walking Dead TV podcast. And I just want to add that um, issue number 96, Russ said, is being solicited. And I don't know if we talked about it at all last show, but issue number 97 is the beginning of something. A new story arc, something big is going down. One of the teaser images has a person holding a crossbow and you can't see his face, and there's a lot of tattoos on the guy. Um, could be the debut of Daryl Dixon in the comics. Not the first time we thought that, but it is possible. So if you're, if you'd be interested in buying the comic if they brought in Daryl Dixon, you should probably start looking around issue 97 and upward. That'd be my guess. I think you're right. I think the last one was a little questionable. I think it was a little hopeful when we saw that that promo image. This one is a little more overt, in my opinion. So I'd really be surprised with this one if it didn't turn out to be Mr. Dixon. It could be a red herring, but let's hope for the best. Is it not, is it something to fear or no fear? What's the tagline of this thing that's starting at issue 97? Something to fear. It is something to fear. Very well. All right. Uh, before we get into Trigger Finger, first thing I want to do is read a new iTunes review because we love those. We have a review from Claire, four out of five Busters, for our show. Uh, she wants to know when Buster is making another appearance. Did I just say appearance? When Buster is making another appearance, she wants to know. We don't know. I don't think Buster's ever coming back. Which is uh, really sad. Yeah. She says she really likes listening to our original insight that doesn't depend solely on what you know from comics. Uh, great podcast. I'm addicted. So thank you, Claire. We appreciate it. We'll take all the iTunes reviews. Um, helps us get noticed and, and uh, know that you're out there listening. So that's awesome. And we have a voicemail that's kind of been sitting around for a little bit. I think we forgot about it. And I think when the show... Well, you know what? Last week we just got totally thrown for a loop. Um, we were missing some people last minute and we forgot to play it. So I'm going to go ahead and play that one. Hey guys, it's Brett again. Uh, you had mentioned in your episode last week that you thought it was really strange that Dale somehow deduces out of thin air that Shane sacrificed Otis. Uh, well, I watched back through a few of the earlier episodes and I actually found out that Shane totally gave it away uh, at Otis's funeral. Funny enough, it actually seems like Dale figured it all out at the moment that Shane spilled the beans. Okay, so let me break it down here. Just before Shane and Otis head off to the high school, Rick lends his revolver to Otis. And then Otis says, that's a fine weapon, Rick. I'll bring it back in good shape. So Otis has his hunting rifle and the uh, revolver that Rick lent to him. Shane has his Glock and his shotgun. So that's four guns. Two rifles, two pistols. Now... 
after Otis is dead and Shane is giving his eulogy at the funeral, he says, and I quote, We were almost done, almost out of ammo. We were down to pistols by then. And then he goes on to say, uh, He gave me his backpack. He shoved me ahead. Run, he said. I'll take the rear. I'll cover you. Okay, so at that moment, Dale's eyes shift around very quizzically, and very briefly, he cocks his head to the side and has this aha moment. Um, you should really go check out that scene again. It's really funny. You can totally tell that he sees a hole in Shane's story. Um, so you see, Otis and Shane, they actually went out with four guns, two rifles, two pistols, but Shane came back with three everything but Otis's hunting rifle. So strangely, he somehow ended up with Rick's revolver. We see that Shane has his own pistol. It's a Glock. In uh, some sub- subsequent scenes like the barn shootout or when he's with Andrea in the housing development. Um, he also he uses his assault shotgun um, in other scenes like this week's episode when he's looking for Lori at the scene of the car accident. Um, Rick obviously has his revolver back because that's the one he used to shoot Sophia. Um, the, but the only reason that that revolver even made it back was because Shane grabbed it off of Otis when he was struggling uh, to get the backpack. Yet, he clearly says we were down to pistols, and he says that Otis would cover him. Um, so if Otis is going to cover him and he doesn't have any rifle ammo left, you know, um, if he didn't have Rick's revolver, then I guess he was going to punch the zombies or something like that. I don't know. Um, it, there's, there's obviously something really weird here that Shane somehow ends up with Otis's pistol. Um, so, anyways, nobody really seems to put those pieces together except for good old Dale. I guess the writers didn't really do a good job of making that hole in Shane's story very obvious to the viewers, but I definitely think it was intentional. And if you go back and you watch the episodes, it all makes sense. Very interesting. I definitely did not catch all of that from Dale's look, and I didn't think to put any of that together, but it sounds like it makes sense. I think the only thing he forgot to mention was, and the prosecution rests. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty good observation. I just more took it as Dale is suspicious in general, and... You know, like sometimes what people do, they start playing out scenarios in their head and, and, and working things out that way. So that's kind of the take I, I took on it. Um, but I think that's some great analysis and some great digging. I would agree with you guys in your assessment of his reasoning, but I, I think I tend to, to side more with Russell. I just think it was Dale just being suspicious of somebody he was already suspicious of to begin with. And, uh, his story sounded fishy, and maybe it's for the reasons that were that were um, just shared with us. But uh, I, I think it was more of just Dale not liking Shane and wanting to find something wrong with his story. So we thank Brett again for the voicemail. If anybody else would like to send their comments via voicemail, the phone number is five one six. Four six eight seven nine one two, and I believe we also got a couple of emails, didn't we, Brad? Yeah, this is about the uh, Nebraska episode. This is from Liz Giles. Just finished your Nebraska episode, and I must say, I felt all of your opinions were pretty spot on. I thought the mid-season premiere was going to be this action-packed hour, and was left feeling only really amped because Rick shot those guys outright in the last 
three minutes of the show. I thought it was going to be another drawn-out discussion of how to merge camps and this or that, which is what Rick had done so far with everyone. Anyway, uh, I love that the same Rick Grimes that cuffed Merle Dixon to the roof, no questions asked, showed up to take care of those two a-holes in the bar. Though I would have liked to have seen more Michael Raymond James in future episodes. He was one of the two guys, yes? Yeah, Dave, I think. He was, yeah, I think Dave. The skinnier one. I would like to see more of Michael Raymond James in future episodes, again, and writers killing off characters we don't even know. I loved that they weren't alone, and now Rick, Glenn, and Herschel all have to deal with the rest of that group. I did say Daryl bashing on Twitter. Oh, she participated in Daryl bashing on Twitter. But upon reflection, I've realized you guys made some valid points about the unevenness of Daryl's character throughout the season. Though I think Mr. Norman Reedus is doing a fabulous job playing the the rough-around-the-edges guy, I agree that it seemed as though AMC went from having him being too one-dimensional to giving him way too much of a range in the way his character behaves. Maybe that's what happens under those extenuating circumstances, but it's still kind of hard to keep up with. Anyways, much love to all you guys. I'm a huge fan of the show and look forward to next week. Hope all of you will be there. Thank you, Liz. And we have one more about Nebraska from Carlos Santos. Hi, love the podcast. I think you guys have the most professional Walking Dead podcast out there. Thank you very much for that comment. Having said that, I feel you guys missed the point concerning Daryl's conversation with Lori. She accused him of being selfish, which, when you think about it, is ludicrous, considering Daryl went through hell to find Sophia. He was annoyed, and I believe rightly so. What we have here, as usual, is Lori making poor judgment calls concerning a lot of things, like her complaining about looking for supplies on the highway, or commenting that she thought Carl was getting cold. It is the zombie apocalypse, and Carl isn't going to have a normal life. I feel Lori was the problem in that scene with Daryl. That's my two cents, guys. Keep up the great work. I can see... I, I can see that. I mean, I, I still think Daryl was acting strangely, but, you know, having Lori come up to me and, and say dumb things would be annoying as well. So I, I get it. Yeah, it's weird when these characters seem to, uh, like, sweat the small stuff, to use a cliche. You know, you're in, like this person said, uh, you're in the zombie apocalypse, you know? Like, are we really going to feel sorry for ourselves and bring up things like the kid is getting cold? And uh, I don't know. Sometimes it just doesn't sit right with me. And, I mean, Daryl, I-, I think Russ might have said this to me in a chat or an email or something. Daryl's taking, you know, arrows in the leg and fighting off zombies, you know? He's like total badass and now he's going to feel bad because they don't appreciate him like i it just doesn't seem to match up yeah i was i i I crossed my memes i guess because i did the um um daryl dixon quote of i used to be a badass until i got shot in the knee with a with with a with a crossbow which is a if for those people that play skyrim that's like one of the big internet memes for Skyrim. You walk up to a guy that used to be some adventurer in Sky in the game video game Skyrim and he's like, Well, I used to be an adventurer until I got shot in the knee. So it's like all over the internet. People plaster that comment over pictures of all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> so 
Very our, good. Our friend Lucas King just posted in our Walking Dead podcast, and I got the email, which is why I the only reason I know about it. But he says, getting caught up as we speak. Holy barn slaughtering goodness. Yeah. Lucas is a few episodes behind, apparently. Yeah, but it's fun to, to watch their people's responses to you know, to older stuff that we've already seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Are we done email-wise? For Nebraska, we've got one later about Trigger Finger, but let's hear, let's hear from Jordan. All right, Jordan, let's, uh, let's do it. So Trigger Finger starts with Lori waking up in the car crash, uh, or after the car crash she had last episode. And for me, at least, it wasn't immediately clear that it was Lori right in the beginning. I was kind of a little disoriented. But you quickly become aware that it is Lori, and uh, there's a zombie pressing its face through the front glass of her car, uh, which was gross. The skin is just ripping right off the face. She eventually gets out of the car. She gets uh, rid of that zombie. Another one attacks her, and she shoots it, I believe, in the face, and then uh, she makes her way into town. The face-ripping scene uh, was awesome. Yeah, big time. And it totally that, made me forget, like, that it was just stupid that she even took the car and left and flipped it and hit the zombie. Like, if that's what it brought, it was totally worth it, you know, getting you to that point. That's what I thought exactly. I and to, Jordan, you brought it up, too, and I thought the same thing. When they first showed Lori, I don't know if it was just the way of her hair or the angle. I, it didn't It it didn't look like her. It looked, looked like a different person. Yeah, I totally but, agree. Yeah, but, but, yeah, the whole face ripping off as that... As that zombie went through the windshield was just one of the most awesome zombie scenes I think um, in the series so far and to me that's when I said okay we saw what we saw at the end of last episode we're starting this with Lori which is in my book is kind of a downer but to see a zombie that is so determined to get its prey literally rips its own face off coming through a glass windshield I was like okay we're 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 on an upswing here we're definitely on an upswing and, and you know, there's. I'm sorry, Jordan. There, there's so many zombie films at this point, and and you know, books, and there's tons of zombie stuff out there. I've never seen that. Like to me, it was a totally new idea and way to bring some zombie gore into the show. I mean, Z- Jordan, you've seen yeah. Zordon. I almost called him <laughs> Jordan. Yes, I'm Zordon from the original <laughs> Power Rangers show. I live in a big glass tube. Hey, up yours, Zordon. Um, <laughs> you've seen a lot more of the zombie films than I have. Have you ever seen that or anything uh, no, similar I don't, I don't to that? I've seen that that specific trick before. It was, it was definitely cool and, and brand new for me. I wonder if that was a Nicotero thing or if it was a writer that came up with that idea. I, from what I understand, they generally leave the specific gags up to Nicotero, especially because he's an executive producer now. I think he gets a lot more say into exactly how those things go. But a- after Lori makes her way into town, we catch back up with Rick, Herschel, and Glenn, who are still inside the bar, and they're about to leave when uh, a group of people approach from outside. And these people are looking for Dave and Tony. We never actually see this group, at least not in the beginning. Uh, the entire scene is shot from inside the bar, which is a very cool choice. And the three of them are hiding behind the door and behind, uh, or underneath some windows, waiting for the group to go away. But the group actually comes up to, uh, to one of the windows and asks if anyone's inside. And in probably, what was probably a mistake, Rick answers them. And, uh, soon they're in a bit of a firefight. 
Yeah, who else yelled at the TV when he started talking? Oh, me. I was totally with Herschel. You could see the look on Herschel's face when he when And he I spoke thought up. Glenn was going to be the one to say something. And then we could at least be, well, okay, at least Glenn's a kid. But Rick should know better. That well, was a stupid I, move. Let me, let me just say this. I expected this from Rick before last episode. I thought last episode was going to be the turning point to badass Rick that is going to do whatever he has to do now to get things done. So I thought this was like a little bit of a step back. Like he's really going to try to negotiate with these guys now. You know, I don't know. I must be in the minority because I thought this was a continuation of Badass Rick. Because I thought at that point he was he he kind of was confident in himself and feeling it because he I mean the tone of his voice I mean he yelled that out he was very fierce in what he said I think he was trying to scare these guys is to say look your guys drew on us and even though they drew on us we are still able to take both of them out easily what do you think you know we're gonna do to you and I think that was his way of they're going to come in anyway, at least if I yell this out and assert my, you know, kind of alpha male attitude that I might be able to to either throw them off guard or to get them to say, look, we're just going to cut our losses and get the hell out of here. I just knew Glenn was going to bite it this episode when he was leaning up against that door. You know, I figured they'd start shooting and he would get killed from a shotgun blast or something through that door. You know, he's holding the door open with his back. And when Rick started yelling, I thought, oh, no, this is it. Glenn's going to bite it. Oh, I, I thought the same thing, Brad, and even later on in the episode, too, especially because, I mean, look, we, we know what happens in the comic, but that has nothing to do with this. We also know how regular stories work. And when you've just set someone up but that they're in love and that someone told them that they were in love with them, but they didn't reciprocate, it would not be that big of a stretch of the imagination to go, OK, that person's about to die. It's going to be a tragic ending. You're not going to see it coming. But because we know how stories work, you know, definitely foreseeable. So I was kind of happy that they didn't go that route. And uh, but I was I was definitely right there with you. If if this was still badass Rick, it was stupid badass Rick. There's a difference between stupid and being smart. And I I don't think what he did. He might have been badass, but I don't think what he did was smart. Amen. Yeah, maybe. But don't you think eventually? I mean, okay. It, it was all truncated because the walkers showed up and they just said, okay, we gotta, we gotta, you know, bail. But don't you think eventually Rick knew, okay, they're gonna find us. They're gonna know we're here. Um, even if they have to do a building to building search. And it's like, okay, do we want to sit here and, you know, hunker down and be afraid and, and not be able to, to make a getaway or worse, we're stuck here long enough that the rest of them wonder what happened to us and they send a party to come after them and then they get into trouble. I just, I don't know. I, maybe I read more into it. Maybe I'm, um, being a little more on the Rick bandwagon than, than I should be, but I just really thought it was a good tactical move and, and a assertive move on, on Rick's part to, to do what he did. I don't know. I, I thought it was inviting disaster, you know, Sooner they were about to leave anyway is the feeling I got, and then he yelled out, "Say they come inside." Say they didn't leave. Say they start coming inside. You wait for them to open the door, and you pop them right in the head, and you're right there behind the door. Why invite them to start shooting through the, through the, you know, the door that you're leaning up against? 
I don't know. Although, I think, didn't Glenn jump in front of the door and alert the guys that there was someone inside before Rick said anything? I, I think that option door. might have been taken away from he, Rick. They tried to open the door, and then he shut it. And when they did that... But he's keeping Glenn, right? Glenn, yeah. yeah. Glenn shut the door, and that's when the guys on the other side knew that somebody was in there. So, at that point, they, and that was before Rick said anything. So, at that point, they knew they were in there. Yeah, I guess you're right. But, but still, I, I think Rick probably made the wrong decision by, uh, by saying anything. They still, they still could have tried something different. The, well, at it's point, the, the back he, door was still an option to him, you know? Yeah, and he's giving away their location inside the place. I mean, they could all be loaded up in the back. They could be, you know, in the basement if there is one. You know what I mean? Like, yelling out invites them to shoot through the front door because they can hear that you're right there, but whatever. So back on the farm, uh, the group figures out, you know, through a series of conversations that Lori is no longer there. Uh, so uh, Shane is kind of freaking out about that. Meanwhile, Carol goes and talks to Daryl. Carol follows Daryl, and she learns that uh, he was the one who let Lori go into town alone. So she's kind of mad at him, and then he starts yelling at her. She He mocks her for a while. And uh, she kind of just stands there and takes it. I mean, we know from the history of the show that she is used to dealing with uh, extremely verbally abusive men. And she she stands there and, and takes everything he throws her way. Yeah, the the end of this exchange felt weird, didn't it? Like, I felt like I was missing the clip where she fired back at him and, like, made him see the light or something. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for her to go, is that it? Did you get out of your system? Not even something like yelling back at him, but just pointing out that she was well aware of what he was doing and, you know, he couldn't hurt her with with verbally anymore. You know, it was it was out of his hands. I thought the same thing, Jordan. I expected her to say, are you finished? One of the things, and I was watching the, the Talking Dead afterwards, and one of the things Chris Hardwick mentioned, and this is something that I've thought for, well, I guess, a couple episodes now, and it was kind of cool to have validation a little bit by him saying the same thing, but I, I too kind of think that, that Carol and Daryl are like two seconds away from just like going from this weird back and forth to just completely making out with each other. Um, there, there's just this weird, like the way that, that they interact with each other and the way that she looks at him and the way that he kind of is so flippant with her. Um, I, I just, at the back of my head, I just keep thinking the same thing. And I'm glad they don't because that would be like completely cliched. Right. But, but it's it's still it still kind of lingers in the back of my brain that it's like, dude, it seems like they're about like three seconds away from just throwing down right here. Um, so it's just it, like I said, it was just kind of funny to to hear that from from from. So I don't know if you guys kind of get the same tension going on or the same vibe going on. No, no, definitely. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to make gross overgeneralizations to a subject I'm not that personally familiar with. But from what I understand, or at least from what we've seen in the show. You know, yes, Ed, her husband Ed, was an extremely abusive man, but she stayed with him. And there are some people that even though they are abused, they I don't want to say they get used to it, but at a certain point, it's it's something that they live with and something that they're they're used to and out. So if that's not happening to her, she's not sure what to do. But at I, least this, at least in this situation, she's used to it. And if she stayed with her husband that long, and you know, they had at least one kid together. You know, presumably that kind of energy could transfer into another type, like you're saying. But but I don't think that she feels the the same way. I think a she's a little more empowered 
just in general. I think she's changed as a as a person. But two, I don't think she sees Daryl as that kind of person. I almost think, like you guys were saying, she's at the point now where she knows Daryl's just blown off steam and Daryl is just the way he is, that he's not abusive, that he would never be abusive to her. And that she, I, I, too, I too was kind of waiting, other than to see if they would just start making out with each other. But like you guys were saying, the whole, okay, are you done yet? Have you, are you finished? Are you, you know, through? Which is, that's the kind of the confidence she was throwing out there. And that's something she would never do with Ed. So I, I think that was just kind of a unique situation for her. Um, and, and knowing Daryl the way she does and has gotten to know him and the, the dynamics of her personality going what, what she's been through have changed. I, I don't see the, the same situation that she had with Ed. Why do you guys think? Daryl's being so mean to her. Is he just frustrated and you take it out on the ones you love? I mean, is that all it is? I think that Daryl is more affected by um, um, Sophia's death than probably anyone else. Uh, I think there's something going on with him that he was so invested in finding her and that was his mission. And I think maybe he even saw that as his like redemption as a person, like his, his way of breaking free of, you know, his brother and whatever probably horrible childhood he went through that he could be kind of the hero for this little girl that maybe nobody was to him. And I think now that she's dead, I think it's kind of snapped him back to the reality of it's every man for themselves. You know, this is all just a bunch of crazy nonsense. I'm not sticking my neck out for anybody. And, you know, I'm just going to, in order to not get invested in anybody else again, like, he doesn't want to be that vulnerable again. So it's like, I'm going to push everybody away. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I'm going to whittle, you know, and make stakes out of wood. I'm going to hang stuff up on a line. You know, all that kind of stuff to push everybody away so he doesn't get that investment um, in another person like he did with Sophia and, and for him to be let down. That. That's kind of how I take it. Yeah, and I think that's all very astute, you know, observations. I think, I think that's what they're going for. But you know, again, it lasted like twenty minutes, <laughs> and then the next morning on the show, he's back with the group again. Um, and I think maybe I think the only problem I have with it this time is. We didn't get that moment at the end of the fight with Carol to say, to get the realization from Daryl. You know what I mean? Like, all right, I'm being a jerk. She's right. You know, we didn't get that ending. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, he's back and he gives her a little nod and everything's fine again. It's almost like maybe there's a scene missing. Exactly like you're saying, John, that, you know, either maybe they filmed it or maybe they intended it to be in there and they chopped it for time and so... It doesn't make sense, but yeah, it just seems like a strange leap. I thought the same thing. When he's all geared up and ready to roll with the crossbow and the whole thing, it was like, okay, a minute ago you were like, you know, Mr. Solo, and now you're you're ready to, be, you know, get back up on the horse again. So, And that was I, really I weird because that, I'm sorry, that came before he went inside and gave Carol the nod. Right. So, so you got him geared up in part of the group, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? And then... You know, he comes in and they give each other the mental high five and everything's all right again. So it's all right. I'd rather have Daryl with the group than sulking in his own tent. So I'll take it. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. 
So one other p- important piece of information that came out of that scene is, as we saw last week, uh, Lori wanted Daryl to go into town and get Rick. So now he's communicated that information to Carol, and she tells Shane that it's most likely that Lori went into town to look for Rick. And so Shane goes out to find her. And surprisingly, he finds her very quickly. I was kind of waiting for it to be a whole nother, you know, where's Lori thing now instead of where's Sophia. Thankfully, it did not go down that road. Uh, no, no pun intended by using the word road. But he finds her on the road. Uh, he tells her that Rick is already back because she's not interested in coming back until Rick is. And uh, he brings her back where she is very upset to find out that Rick is not there. And then Shane spills the beans in front of everybody that she is pregnant. And Carl says he wants to name the, the baby Sophia if it turns out to be a girl, which is a interesting little nod. I hope they I hope they go that route. If uh, creepy, if it does that, well, creepy, but the type of thing that I could see a kid like that saying. I was like, man, that's a little. That is so weird. Um, I didn't think it was weird. I thought it was sweet. I'm just not yeah. naming my kid after a dead girl. <laughs> like if if Daryl went, you should name her after Sophia. That would be creepy. Carl saying it, uh, yeah, like, I, I think it was cute, too. But anyway, so at that point, Shane and Lori have a private talk about everything that's gone in between, uh, gone on between them, and uh, Shane says he doesn't believe it was, like, a little short-term thing. He says they're meant to be together, and he thinks she knows it, too. He thinks the baby's hit hers, and uh, we can quickly see that things are not going to end well. Back in the town and inside the bar, uh, Rick, Glenn, and Herschel are trying to decide how they're going to escape. Uh, so Herschel and Glenn go to the back so they can check to see if anyone's back there. Herschel covers Glenn, and Glenn uh, takes a shotgun. So Glenn goes outside, and he tries to make a little bit of a run for it. Uh, gunfire starts, and he he hunkers down behind a dumpster to the point where Herschel actually thinks he's dead. Uh, Herschel can see one of the other guys, and I, this Herschel shoots the other guy, right? Who's coming towards him? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he does. Yeah. Yeah, so Herschel shoots the guy who quickly gets swarmed by zombies, and we get some more face-ripping action uh, for the second time in the episode, uh, which is pretty gross. And actually, one of the first times in this show we've actually seen someone bitten by a zombie, uh, at least certainly this season, I think. For the most part, it's happened off-screen otherwise. Or far away. Yeah, yeah, this was, this was, a, really, this was a really good shot. So then Rick joins them because he hears all the gunfire, and he goes to check and see if Glenn is... Alive, And this was another cool badass shot where Rick leaves the building holding two guns. He's holding a shotgun in one hand and the pistol in the other, pointing them in two separate directions. And it was like an overhead kind of Dutch angle. I thought that was a very cool shot. Uh, but so the three of them, three of them are once again reunited and they're going to make a run for the car. Uh, when the zombies start swarming the, the other group, uh, Tony and Dave's friends, and uh, they decided to ha- side to ha- hightail it. One of the guys on the roof jumps down. He's trying to jump to the car. But instead, he gets stuck uh, with his uh, a he gets stuck on a fence with one of the fence posts, uh, the metal fence posts, kind of stuck right through his leg, and he's abandoned by his own people. So Rick, Herschel, and Glenn go over, and they at first they're going to amputate, but then they're being swarmed by the zombies. They're running out of bullets, so Rick just grabs the kid's leg, pushes it right up off the pole, uh, ripping a big chunk out of it, and uh, and that ends that particular scene. I, I thought the. Um... I thought the time period of Herschel deciding whether he was going to amputate went on too long. Like, dude, there are zombies coming from every open spot all around us. You do not have the time to amputate a leg with a pocket knife. Like, (laughs) it just seemed very clear to me that they weren't going to have enough time. 
And well, he I, wanted the axe from the car, didn't he? Didn't he yeah. want a hatchet or something? He wanted it, right? But they then they couldn't get to the car. He asked for a hacksaw, I think, first, right? Or uh, I thought you said hatchet. No hatchet, yeah. Okay, either either way, they you know they couldn't get it, obviously. And Herschel's still kind of like tying his shirt up and lining that leg up with his little knife that Rick ends up giving him, and it's like. I don't know. To me, it was like no chance, dude. Like, how long would it take to hack through a leg bone with that knife? I mean, twenty-seven hours. Right. Yeah. So I'm. I was. I thought Hershel was either going to shoot the guy in the head or like stab him in the neck or something and just put him out of his misery, and, and they would get out of there. Right. Right. And this kid is Randall, and he's played by Michael. I don't know if it's Zegan or Zagan, but Z E G E N. He was actually on uh, Rescue Me since the beginning, I think. All, all, all six seasons of the show, he played uh, Tommy Gavin's nephew on the show. And it was a pretty good part up until the end, and I won't spoil the show. But yeah, they, they took that character in weird places. But it, So it was nice to see another recognizable, or at least semi-recognizable actor. And I have a feeling he'll be around for a few episodes. It, it's funny, I, again, going back to The Talking Dead, apparently he and John Bernthal were um, college buddies. And... So he didn't realize. Wait, Michael Zegan and John Berthold? Uh, the guy that was the whoever that that was the guy that had his leg stuck, right? Yeah, but I thought I would have assumed from looking at them that they were a good ten, fifteen years age difference. See, that's what I thought too. But in the in the Talking Dead, they um, you know, they had the blurb up there that that they were they were college buddies, and um, Bernthal didn't know that he was going to be he was even hired to work. Until they both actually showed up on the set, huh? So, yeah, I thought because I, I thought the same thing. I was like, man, Bernthal looks like he's a little older than this dude. This dude looked like really young, but, but yeah, really not. One of the things, um, one of the things that I thought was interesting with that whole scene was I agree that it was like completely unrealistic that he was going to hack a hack a leg off with a pocket knife. But one of the things that scene did really well was kind of build tension um, between. Glenn, you know, screaming and shouting that they don't have time, and Rick telling him to hurry up, and 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 um, Herschel kind of scrambling to try and get this done. I, I, and you can see the zombies in the background, you know, coming up, and them taking shots at everybody. I, I just thought that was a really cool tension builder that we haven't we haven't really kind of seen that level of tension build, um, zombie tension build. I mean, we got it a little bit with the last episode in the bar. That was a different kind of tension. It was a more subtle tension. But this was, you know, kind of high intensity thing going on. Um, so I, I, I thought that was cool because the whole time I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they going to leave him? Are they going to shoot him in the head? Are they going to, you know, grab something and rip his leg off? Are they going to just, you know, you know, find a way to get? I mean, it was just like, you know, all this stuff is going through my head while, you know, while everything's racing towards him, and I just thought that was, you know, really well done um, scene. Oh, definitely, and, and that ripping sound of him, his leg getting pulled off, was just. Awesomely gross. Um, I did a little research. Uh, John Bernthal is 35. They Both of these people went to Skidmore College at one point. So either Michael Zegan is older than he looks uh, considerably, or he went to college early, or John Bernthal went to college late, or both. Or But it is still kind of... Uh, I, I am greatly surprised by that little bit of trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, he's a, a good actor from, from Rescue Me, for sure. Like I said, until they did weird things with his character, which is still still writing things, but he, he acted all of it, uh, beginning to end, very well. I haven't been grossed out by many things on this show. Like, literally, like, disgusted by anything, except the 
when they when Rick lifted that guy's leg up off of the fence post. That was just like you said, it was the sounds and oh, it was horrible. But but that was another great um that was another great Rick moment because it was like, Okay, I'm done. We if we're taking this guy, then we're just gonna have to man up and he just, you know, lifts his leg up and rips it off the thing. I was just like, Okay, more you know I, I like the fact that I really felt that Rick had turned a page and that it wasn't like, well, he kind of did. And now he's back to kind of being a little mamby pamby. I like that. It was, you know, more of the same and that, and that he kept that, that kept it going. Now, one thing that I heard a couple of times on Twitter, maybe on Facebook as well, was, um, did you guys feel cheated that we didn't get to see them escape that situation? That we went from Rick pulling the leg up off and then the next time we see them is returning on the truck? I didn't nah. feel cheated at all. Yeah, it didn't. Nah. The yeah, I didn't right either. there. All they had to do was run over to it and drive away. Yeah, I guess some people were saying that the way they were shooting all of those zombies coming from all different directions, that it would have had to be some, like, great escape, um, situation now just judging from this one particular scene because we do see randall later but he's uh he's comatose at the time now we don't know too much about this guy in particular we know he was shooting at them uh we know he's definitely part of this other group but we don't know that he's necessarily a bad guy i mean i kind of get the same feeling with him that i did uh last year with our friend from the vatos but um you certainly feel bad for the kid at least at the point when his leg is when he's pleading for his life with his leg impaled on the fence. I mean, did you guys think you got a read on this character at all, or at least a, a read that our, our character should have gotten from him? I don't know. I, I just get the feeling it's going to bite them in the behind, um, partly because that's Shane's reaction to it. I, I think Shane is right a lot on purpose so that we question Rick. Definitely. So I could see them sending this kid on their way, and then he goes back to his people, you know, and they invade the farm or something. Like, I could just see that happening. I doubt it will, but that's the vibe I got. I'm I'm frankly surprised that Rick didn't just shoot him in the head. You know, that would have been a, a more of a, a a Rick moment that would follow last week's episode than... You know, taking pity on him and bringing him with him. Even just as an act of mercy, you know? I, I think it was because of his age. I, I think, you know, because like Rick said, he's like, he's just a kid, you know? And I think he has a soft spot. I think Rick is thinking, you know, it, it, you know, a young, a very young person doesn't have the, you know, maybe he, I don't know. I think he was just trying to rationalize it out or maybe he'd just done enough killing for that day. You know, maybe he was just trying to. Maybe he, he figured that it'd be a way to send a message, you know. Um, you know, they, they, they heal this guy up and send him on his way that, um, it would teach the, you know, if this guy ever went back to whoever his people were, that this guy would be able to tell him, hey, either one of two things, either A, these people aren't such bad people, or B, you don't want to mess with them because they could have easily just popped me in the head. They're heavily armed. You know, they, they're well taken care of wherever they are because obviously he's blindfolded, so he wouldn't be able to tell them. But, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I'm. I guess I'm not clear on what exactly Rick's motivation was, but I think a lot of it has to do with, with um, his perceived age of of this kid. If I had to guess, I have a feeling this kid turns out to be not that bad, but his friends come looking for him anyway, and then that's when everything hits the fan. Or at least that's how I hope, because I like the actor. Seems yeah. like a nice guy. Could be. 
So once they get back to the camp, Herschel tries to operate on the kid's leg and uh, says it's going to be damaged and he won't be able to be up and about for like a week or so, but he should be okay. And Beth is still in her coma type thing. What do you what are you guys making of that right now? Do you still? I think uh, Jordan, you weren't around, and, and Russ, neither were you. I think we were discussing last week that we figured that she got scratched or something in that scene when uh, the dead ones coming out of the barn uh, were clawing at her. Yeah, but um, you know, I don't see a fever. I don't. I'm trying to remember like when it happened to Jim. Right? Didn't Jim had a bite or a scratch or whatever it was in the first season and. He had like that crazy fever, and he was talking mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous and acting weird and stuff. So we really have no precedent for somebody going into a coma from a bite. Yeah, I, I think if she was going to be zombified, it would have happened by now. I think it's more just shock or some plot contrivance to have uh, them have to go get Herschel from the bar. I'm not sure what to make of the whole Beth thing, because I don't know if maybe it's just a plot device, just a way for them to have time to talk about, like for 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 Maggie to talk about her past and what's going on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It, 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 it just seems the, the only thing that it seems to me is going on is there's a lot of people getting hurt and a lot of time spent with that. Like, you know, um, Carl got shot and then, um, you know, Daryl got shot and, you know, now the, you know, Beth is in a coma and, you know, they bring in this kid that, you know, they have to amputate his leg. It's like, there's, there's, and I guess it's, it's somewhat realistic because with all this stuff going on, you know, people are going to get shot, people are going to get hurt, people are going to die, whatever. But it just seems like we're spending a whole lot of time with Herschel, who's a veterinarian, being able to bring people back from things that you would think would have killed them. And it would have been tough for a full doctor with all of his medical capabilities at his disposal. Um, now, to, to, to contrast that, I think we've seen similar things in the comic, so it's not like it's coming from completely out of left field in, in the show. Right. Uh, you brought up something that uh, the synopsis I'm reading from didn't have, but if we jump back a little bit, there's that scene with, uh, is it Andrea and Maggie at, at, um, at Beth's bedside? It is Andrea and Maggie, because Andrea says she'd love to hear the story, and you right, kind of right. get that vibe that, you know, I lost my sister, and I know where you're coming from type thing. I thought that was an amazing scene on the part of uh, Maggie. Um, she, the, the acting she was doing with her eyes, um, the different inflections she was putting on her in with her voice. And I know I've had some problems with her accent before because I occasionally hear the British. Even last week, there was a couple times I heard the British accent come back through. But that was just an amazing bit of acting from her. I, I was really convinced by it. But anyway, jumping back into the regular timeline. Uh, like you said before, John, Shane is very upset with this whole thing about bringing the kid back, even though he was blindfolded. He says it's risky. Um, and Rick said, look, he's like, he likes it. He's blindfolded. His group left him for dead. What else are we going to do? This was the right thing to do. And that we're going to, we're going to get rid of him once, once he's recovered. And Herschel has a nice scene where he gets to yell at Shane and tell him to keep his mouth shut if he wants to stay on the farm, which I laughed at quite a bit. Yeah. Shane, um, well, I guess you're about to get to it. Shane goes out here and Andrea follows him. And, and this to me is like the first real meeting of Team Shane. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and there is clearly, right, there is clearly now a, you know, a, a tangible, uh, line drawn in the sand, if you will. <laughs> they even dress similarly. I don't know if anybody noticed that, but they both had jeans and like button down jean shirts on. They definitely look like they were wearing a uniform. 
but yeah, so they, they go out, uh, I guess at this, so, somewhere in this point is the conversation with Beth and Andrea, but yeah, uh, Dale is still, you know, he, he's, he's upset. He's shocked to find out that Andrea still agrees with Shane. Um, and she says that Shane has done more to keep more, to, done more to keep the group safe than anybody else, including Rick. And, uh, Maggie comes in, yells at Herschel for his drinking and disappearing. Another good scene with her. And then this is where we have, uh, Glenn and Maggie have a conversation where he reveals that, look, when, uh, when I was shot at back, uh, back earlier in the episode behind the bar at the, at the dumpster, I was only thinking about myself, uh, which, which isn't really true. He was thinking about her, but he says, I, I froze because you told me you, you love me. And I just wanted to keep myself alive. And I, I can't, I can't go on like that because that just makes me a danger to everybody else. It doesn't make me dependable and it's not a good, a good situation. So we kind of leave them in a little weird way. And then uh, we meet back up with Lori and Rick and they're out in their tent getting changed and uh, comparing scars and bruises when we have a little bit of a, I guess you could call this a Lady Macbeth moment, although maybe not as, uh, as devious where she, She's talking to Rick and it kind of ends with her whispering into his ear and telling him that Shane believes the baby's his. He thinks I'm mine. You would kill to protect what's yours. And he thinks I'm his. Shane is dangerous and we need to do something about it. And that is where the episode ends. And, and like I said, very Lady Macbeth moment. It definitely feels like that, you know, someone whispering in someone's ear to get them to do what they want. Like in a Greek tragedy or or that type of thing. But I, I think even though we might not lore, might not like Lori that much, I, I think we all agree that she's absolutely right. Like, if, if Rick doesn't do something, this is going to end very poorly for him. This was one of my favorite scenes of the whole episode, the, the, the scene at the end in the tent. And the look on Rick's face when she's telling him these things, especially that very last shot, bumped my buster rating up a half a buster. He got a, uh, he got a half a buster just for that look on Andrew Lincoln's face. It was, it was perfect. Yeah. It, it was really, really creepy. A lot of great tension. I mean, I know last week we had a ton of excellent actual, you know, gun based tension, but this was a good, good version of just dramatic tension. Just two people discussing what they had to do. And, uh, you, you can tell things are going to get very interesting next episode. And as the season closes out. I have been so anti-Lori, especially this season. I don't know what it is, but her character just kind of irritates me. I just don't like the way she's written, you know, the whole trying to get people to go after them and then getting in the car and then hitting the zombie with the car. Like, it was so kind of cliched. I mean, I wasn't on last episode to kind of give my thoughts on that, but I just thought it was so cliched and so maybe lazy writing. It was just real clumsy, I thought. I I wasn't a huge fan of that at all. But with with that scene at the end, I was like, I've never liked Lori more than in this scene right here and right now. I, there was just such a turn in her character, um, a good turn. I mean, it was just like, oh, wow, she's being really devious. And I think, you know, I don't know if maybe they, they let Sarah Wayne Callie's, you know, just kind of a little more of her acting ability kind of come out and they weren't you know, pushing it down so much, or maybe they just finally gave her a good, a good, you know, piece of script to read. But that was just so awesome to see her conniving like that. And the way she is completely turning on Shane, um, and saying he's dangerous. And she, you know, it was kind of cool because she was pretty much regurgitating all of the stuff that Herschel had told her. And it's, it's almost like when, when her, when Dale, you mean, I, I'm sorry, Dale. Yeah. 
when when Dale and Lori kind of had that moment in that discussion, I think it was when Lori kind of like realized what she knew in the back of her head, um, and it just kind of all you know made sense to her. And then I think she knows it's it's going to be trouble, and that now that Rick has kind of reasserted himself in that group, that um, you know that was just an awesome turn. Um, on the flip side. It's interesting to see Andrea's perspective because it seemed like her and Dale were not quite on the outs as much as they were in um, in previous episodes, almost like they're kind of reconciling and being able to get along. I think didn't at one point they both come out of the out of the RV together, or maybe 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 they were just walking together. I thought I thought maybe they they had come out of the RV together. Don't really remember. Wasn't that when um, they when Rick had gotten back? Weren't they all kind of standing around in the same area? Yeah, yeah, and I, I couldn't tell. I, I, did, I didn't go back and, and rewatch that part, but but it seemed like they were kind of reconciling. And when and when Andrea had that conversation with Shane, where you've done more than you know than even Rick has, and you know, you know, they were having the conversation about leaving again. I was like, wow, what an interesting turn with Andrea, and and how she's going. And again, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact of where the TV show is compared to where the book is and, and the Shane factor, you know, the fact that Shane is still around, um, is such, is such a huge deal and such a game changer for a lot of these characters. Um, I just thought it was cool that it kind of sets up this dynamic, um, going on between the two of them. Well, one thing that we didn't mention last week and, uh, you guys with better memories can correct me if I'm wrong. These two episodes since returning from the hiatus have no comic book uh mirror, you know, no nothing like this has happened in the comic, correct? I mean, I would disagree. I'd say the stuff with uh them bringing a person from an, another camp home with them has happened. And uh I think it, especially in relation to another town and another character whose name I won't mention. I definitely get the yeah. vibe that that's happening, that it's just happening a little earlier and in a slightly different place. Okay, but I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is like the trip to the bar, the guys from Philly, the shootout, the leg in the fence thing. That stuff's on. Sure, yeah, sure. it's all it's all pretty much uh, new territory. Um, the one thing that I, I love the scene with Lori. I, I liked. Uh, I thought Sarah Wayne Callies did a great job, like you said, Russ, of being real conniving and whispering in his ear and all that. I thought that went over great. The problem for me with it is I know Shane's dead. And <laughs> and that's not a spoiler. You know, I don't know that he's dead, but how uh, could they ever coexist on this show? You know, well, he could just leave the group and become kind of a a Merle type thing, you know. I guess where it's you possible. You know he's on the fringes and you know he's dangerous, but you don't know where or when. Right. I guess any other kind of reconciliation of this would be a total cop-out at this point, though. Like, there's no way you can ever see Rick and Shane coexisting together in this camp. So I guess there's a possibility Shane goes on his own and has, like you said, he's a Merle-type character. I'm sure everybody's hoping that he would end up being the governor uh, or something like that, but I just, I just think he's dead. I mean, there's been too many signs that, and and I think you're probably right. I'm just trying to think of other op- uh, other possibilities. Uh, both John and Russ used the word conniving when you were talking about the scene with Lori. Do you guys, do you think that's an accurate word? Because I, I didn't get the feeling that she was trying to be deceitful or sway things one way or the other. 
I just felt like she was honestly scared and was really trying to express what she felt was the truth um, to Rick and try to get him to understand. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, don't, it, I don't think deceitful. I don't think she was saying anything that wasn't true, but something about the way she was going about it, like almost like she knew that Rick probably wasn't going to go for this unless she presented it just so. I can see that, and I, I, I think I would agree with that also. That's, I mean, the guy did try to rape her last season. I mean, let's not forget, she does have very legitimate reasons for needing this guy gone. Yeah. Beyond just, you know, somebody else said this, I think this might have happened. She knows something did happen for sure. But even even after that, she wasn't completely in the anti-Shane camp. You know, she when he made a good argument a couple of times, she she seemed to be in favor of what he was saying, or at least tried to temper um, Rick's opposing viewpoint um, a little bit. One of the things I think, I think it is possible that Shane could, if, if they're not going to kill him off, that he could kind of come back to the fold. I think if they get into such an extreme situation, um, or, 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 or the group gets into some extreme danger, and Rick is able to do something that is so head and shoulders above what, what Shane has been able to do, like Rick is able to, you know, to put them in a position of, you know, basically saving their bacon or saving Shane's life or, doing something where Shane is forced to have kind of an epiphany uh, about Rick's ability to lead and the, and the fact that, you know, what's between him and Lori is done and over. And maybe that's Andrea, you know, maybe, maybe him and Andrea get closer and, you know, he, he, that, that time allows him to, to distance himself from, uh, from Lori. I'm not sure. Um, If we talk into the, to the previews from next, next week, I think there's some interesting, tidbits that we saw in that in that little 30 second clip or whatever um with regards to to what's going on in the next episode i I think the the thing for me that convinces me that she wasn't trying to be deceitful or conniving is that is and she's that she's very scared she heard all this stuff from dale and then she saw it firsthand from shane when he came to her and said you know we're supposed to be together that baby's mine he was being delusional, basically, and I think it scared the crap out of her. So who else is she going to turn to but her husband? And she's going to try to get him to to understand how she feels. I have one small thing, okay. and I'm curious what you guys thought. When when Lori and Rick are having their conversation, and she says she actually tells him about, um, about Shane saying that you know he thinks the baby's his, and Rick kind of had a non-response. I mean, you could tell it was like, oh, man, I really don't want to have this conversation. Or, you know, I really don't want to drag up the fact that my best friend slept with my wife probably more than once. Um, but when she she kind of told him, she's like, it's yours regardless. I, I just thought that was a weird thing to say. It's like, that's a weird thing to say to your husband. It's like, this baby's yours, even if it's not yours. Um, I, I mean, I think it kind of goes without saying, but it just... It just it made me uncomfortable listening to it. I was like, man, I would not want to be that dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was a strange thing I think for her to say, but I think she was just trying to make him believe once and for all, uh, you're the guy I want. I have no interest in Shane, regardless of whether or not this baby is his. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I don't think it was a bad piece of writing, and I don't think it was a bad character moment. 
I, I thought it was actually kind of good in a way because it just seemed so odd to me, at least. And unco- like I said, it made me uncomfortable watching it. I was just like, man, that's just a weird thing to say. But, uh, but again, it just kind of reinforces what's going on. I'm ready for Shane to die. Um, I really think we need to see Shane and Rick come to a head. And I think that'll be, you know, the part of this, what draws us to this story in the comic in particular is the interaction with characters. And it, we need another huge, big time confl- conflict between characters. And I, I, you know, I said last week I'm losing faith in this show. This, to me, this was a little better this, this week, but we really need to see some drama as opposed to soap opera. And I think we've been getting a lot of soap opera this season. I'm in total disagreement because Shane is the only character that I'm 100% happy with to this point. Uh, like, I'm afraid, like, if they killed off Shane, I'm afraid of what would, if they're going to start writing Rick better or not. Uh, is T-Dog going to get to come out and play with us soon? Um, you know, I don't, I'm not in love with Daryl Dixon and, and the way that's been going. The female characters haven't been strong yet. Dale is almost completely unlikable at this point. Um, oh, I think... I think what you're saying is accurate, and I think it's because there's too much Shane in this show. I think once Shane's gone, it'll get back to this, the characters that we know and love from the book. I, I, I kind of disagree because I think, I think that tension adds something, and I think the way that the characters have changed, um, are, are maybe more interesting because Shane is still around, and I, I think. I don't know. I just think maybe it's too much Rick. Well, I if would Shane's ag- not there. I, I, I just, I guess, I like the tension. I would agree that tension is good, but there comes a point when you can only stretch, you know, a string so far before it'll break. No, that that is a good point. That is that is true. And I think the tension, especially with, like you said, the previews for next week. John, you didn't watch the previews, did you? No. You got to start watching the preview for next week, brother. I don't want to. That way you'll know what we're talking about. I don't want to know what you're talking about. You don't know what we're talking about most of the time anyway. Do we want to hear Aaron Neuwirth's short uh, review of Trigger Finger like we did last week with Nebraska? Yeah, definitely. And Aaron's full review for the show is up at uh, hhwlod.com or walkingdeadtv.com. So uh, you can read his full review there and we'll get little snippets of it here. Yeah, he says, overall, solid episode. Had a lot of things I really like to see in an episode of this television show. The opening half was very well handled, very tense, putting the audience right in on the action occurring. Things only escalated when the walkers arrived. Glenn may have been way too accurate with his shotgun, but at least we have these characters having to work under a high amount of pressure. Similarly, it was cool seeing the Lori situation resolved quickly and graphically, and, uh, Jordan expressed that, and I think we would all agree with that. There isn't much that beats a zombie trying to push his face through a windshield with his skin getting scraped off. The second half of the episode slowed down a bit, but it did provide a lot of good monologues for some of the different characters. There were some scenes here that I thought were quite well written. Once again, Shane causes some controversy with the others, 
but John Bernthal is great as always with his handling of the character. The thing bugging me most about this episode is how I'm really just don't liking Dale anymore. I want to, and he's technically in the right, but he just seems to be coming off as unlikable. Dark Ending 2, which is setting up a future rift between Rick and Shane. Overall, four busters leaning towards four and a half. Thank you, Aaron. I, I actually thought this was a little bit of a bounce back for Dale, in, in my opinion. Um, I, I think he's kind of been, um, you know, kind of portrayed as, as a bit of a nut and a kook, but I thought, I thought he kind of rebound a little bit and, you know, when he kind of talked to Lori and, and things kind of returned to, to some normalcy, I thought, um, I don't know. I just, I just, I liked him more, I guess, in this episode than I had er- earlier in the season. You guys want to hear my Dale impression? Please. Andrea, no. <laughs> it's pretty much what he says every, every week. That was uncanny. Yeah. Andrea, no. It's close, but you need to add more beard. Shane's dangerous, and I'm keeping the RV company. Changing hoses. I, I'm giving this a three and a half. It's a pretty generous three and a half, but I gave last week a three. I think this was better. Um, so I'm going to go three and a half, and I'm hoping that... I don't know what I'm hoping. Uh, I like zombie killing action, and I want more of it. More often. So three and a half. I think last week's episode was a three and a half. I think it was a generous three rating up until the last ten minutes, and that that was enough to jump it up a whole half point because it was just so awesome. Um, This episode, I'm going to give... I'll give a 3.75. it was definitely better and more consistent, I think, than the previous episode. Um, but I, I think there were some things that were just a little, a, a little um, out, out of whack. I mean, I think the Carol and Daryl stuff is just um, it. It needs to go somewhere and do something. I think there's too many of the characters that are kind of shunted to the background, and we're not getting enough of. I mean, like we're not seeing enough T Dog. Um, you know, and like like you're saying, Daryl or Dale just seems to, um, you know, just kind of be a worry ward at this point. Um, like I said, this this one was a little better, but but I think we need to see more from him. I think some of the other characters um, in and around the the farm, um, it it just seems like it's it's the the the, the focus on a very small number of characters, and I, I'd like to see some some focus on some of the others. But uh, but overall, good 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 episode. I completely agree with Russ's uh, rating and reasoning for last week's episode. I also give that a three and a half. This one, I'll actually give a four. I was even tempted to give a 4.25, but I really did enjoy the vast majority of this episode. There was a couple little things that, you know, like Russ said, kind of didn't sit right with me. The Carol Daryl stuff, um, Beth still being in a coma. But for the most part, the acting, the writing, all of it seemed to work very well. And uh, so, yeah, a, a, a solid four from me. I'm going to give it three and a half, and half of them, half a buster, like I said earlier, was for the look on Rick's face at the end of the episode. I thought it was perfect. Uh, better than last week. Not one of the best episodes we've seen. 
On Twitter, Brad ZB gives it three and a half busters. He would have given it a 10 if Rick and Lori died. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The 10 just explodes from an RPG or something right at the end. Right. BDS Murph says, I'd have to go with 3.75. Still a little slow, but it's building to what will hopefully be a big Rick and Shane showdown. The Walking Dead underscore locations gives it 3.75 to 4. Shogo underscore 67 says, overall, I thought Trigger Finger was a solid episode. Tensions are rising and walkers get killed. That's all we can ask for, folks. Which, you know, at this point, I think is fairly accurate. Keep the tensions coming. Give us more zombie kills. And uh, we should be happier. Is that all of them from uh, from Twitter, Brad? G underscore X-E-L-A. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. It seems Shane's time is almost up. I hope the people that take him down end up looking more evil than they made him out to be. That's interesting thought. And that's it for the Twitter. All right, we got a bunch on Facebook. I'll just run through some uh, ratings quickly. These people were nice enough to leave us Facebook comments. You can find Walking Dead TV Podcast by searching just that on Facebook and join the group. And Brad just went over our Twitter, which is at WDTV Podcast. Uh, Mike Jones gave it a four out of five. Belinda gave it a two and a half or maybe three. Uh, she says, sloppy writing, I say. Let's see why. Let's look into that. She feels cheated by them not showing us how uh, they managed to lift the injured guy over the fence, carry him to the car, blindfold him, fight off the zombies, etc. So there's a person that was a little upset that we didn't see that escape. Uh, Carlos gives it a three. Everard, three and a half. Rob Toll, a four. They did a good job of balancing the action and the drama. Uh, three and a half for Ken. Four for Susan. Four and a half for Robert. And four for Than. Well, we got a lot of comments on Facebook this time, which is cool. Four and a half for Luke Smith. So pretty much, again, one really low, you know, one, two and a half. And uh, mostly, you know, three and a half to four and a half otherwise. So it's still keep keeping people happy to some extent. I mean, it's a Walking Dead TV show. That goes pretty far, I would say. <laughs> And we don't have the ratings, the actual Nielsen ratings for this week that I've seen yet. And I know you guys slightly mentioned them last week, but I don't think you had the full numbers. It broke the previous record for Walking Dead. Yeah, that's I mean, basically lot, what we said. We didn't... were worried about how the um the, the mid-season hiatus was going to affect the show. Uh, I think this proves it didn't hurt it one little bit, at least not in the ratings department. It was 8.1 million, I believe, was the viewership, which uh, again breaks the basic ca- or the cable basic cable viewership for a scripted program. That is crazy. Yeah, and, and good going to them. Congratulations. And it's funny, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a I called it card, but one of the things I said at the end of last season was that, you know, we were concerned because the ratings were, I say sliding, but, you know, still better than most any other cable TV show, even at its low point um, last season. But I, I, I kind of said, I wonder if, based on the ending um, of the mid-season finale, that once people got wind of what they did, if that would draw people either back in for the premiere or generate a lot of buzz, you know, what's going on. And, and it, it seems like, you know, something something brought more people back to it than, than started, 
you know, with it at season two. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. A friend of mine is working his way through my season one Blu-ray right now. And uh, he's like, are you kidding me? There's only six episodes this season. I have to wait for more. I'm like, yeah, you had to wait. Uh, dude, I had to wait like nine months. You're going to wait. So he's excited about it. We had to record about totally unrelated crap for nine months waiting for this season. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it for this week. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so. 516-468-7912. Or send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Don't forget, you can now hear the shows on our YouTube channel, Walking Dead TV Podcast, where you can also catch Comic-Con videos, contests, and more. Check out hhwlod.com for all of our other great shows like Half Hour Wasted, Legion of Dudes, The PKD Black Box, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, and The Tech Dudes, and the brand new Podcatraz. Also keep an eye out for our less regular shows like Media Minutes. Of course, all these shows can be found on Facebook as well. Don't forget to check out Forum for Geeks where you can discuss this episode, as well as many others of this and many other awesome podcasts. And follow us on Twitter, at WDTVPodcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. So until there's no more room in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember, this episode would have gotten a 10 out of 5 if Rick and Lori had died. And next week on The Walking Dead, this may contain slight, slight spoilers. The synopsis we have, the episode is called 18 Miles Out, and the synopsis is, Rick and Shane come into conflict, surprise, surprise, over the fate of an outsider. Andrea helps Herschel's youngest daughter face a crucial decision. Have a good week. Good night. Later. I'm going in. One, two, three, like a kamikaze. Like to run over. A leap of faith. And I finally feel alive. Three, two, one. I'm going in. Season two, John, she's been taking a lot of flack from We played this, people. didn't we? And yes. Son of a... That's what you just sent me, though, correct? Nope. All right. How about... What's the name of the file you just sent me? Um, Uranus.wmv. A no. hole in chain story. Welcome to episode one of The Walking Dead TV. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. <laughs> 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 uh, let's see. How did that? How did that happen? I have a. No, you sent me Walking Dead from Brett. Then I goofed up. No, you didn't. Okay, a hole in Shane's story. Hey, but not so loud. Okay, and try again. Hey, let's start it from the beginning. We can't hear it. Oh, bloopers. Hey guys, it's Brett again. Oh my god, hold on a second. That's really loud. What is this, Podcatraz? That show runs like <laughs> silk. It really does. <laughs> I got Because you don't have you. to coordinate 17 people with different schools. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Before Jim comes back next week and says, how do you miss the, the main obvious reference with his name? Look at the big brain on Brett. I think we used that last time he uh, left a voicemail, but... You just said something about emailing to a phone number. Hey, listen. Obviously, this is completely off the rails, so... <laughs> I say we move on. All right, I'm starting the whole damn thing over. This is going to be great bloopers. So we thank... <clears throat> All righty. One second. <laughs> I am Sorry, I need so to take a drink of water. ready. Give me a sec. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Procrastinators right. unite tomorrow. No, no. 
I needed to wash down a bite of food before I started talking, so it wasn't a one giant phlegm fest, which is a great movie, by the way. But anyway, usually it's Uranus. That's well, going that to sound really out of context for anybody. Well, that wasn't nice. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave it in. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, we're cutting this part? Cock balls. No, I'm, just cutting, I'm just cutting the Uranus and now the part. Also, any mentions of uh, booby fountain, anything. I don't know. Fountain? I don't know. I'm just spitballing at this point. Quit, quit, quit while you're behind. <laughs> That's what she said.